Blog Talk Radio. segment of uh, Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports, and uh, in our quest to educate sports listeners, we have a show today about a special person, a man who uh, transcended coaching, and that is uh, the American Football League's and uh, National Football League, later he would coach with the Saints, and that is the great Hank Stram. And you heard the uh, footage of Hank uh, notably known for his uh, banter on the side, courtesy of YouTube uh, and ClassicFilms.com. Uh, we thank them for that. You know, it's interesting to me um, how some people uh, attain grandeur in their field. You know, you have a musician who makes a living with music, and then you have the Beatles, 
you have a mathematician who, uh, you know, does his thing or her thing, and then you have Albert Einstein. You know, you have uh, the Vanderbilts and the uh, Mellons, uh, who were uh, great uh, men of wealth, and then you have Jeff Bezos, who uh, started a company called Amazon in his garage as a bookseller and is uh, on his way to be the first human to actually be worth a trillion dollars. And it always amazes me from, uh, I've always thought about it through life, and even as a child when I was younger, you know, how is it that some people get to that level while others are uh, kind of bathed in mediocrity at what they do and then still others toil and toil and never really get anywhere? And there are some views about it. There's a biblical view, of course, that God, uh, in his creation of uh, the human race, uh, has blessed everyone. He has given his blessing uh, and talent to specific people. And then you have the fatists, the ones who talk about fate, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Um, You know, for instance... Uh, You look at uh, Charlie Watts, those of you who know the Rolling Stones. Okay, Charlie Watts, he passed away a few years ago. In my mind, a mediocre drummer, you know, nothing special. I'm sure there are many, many drummers who are, you know, much younger than him, who are much better. But he was in the right place at the right time. The Stones knew of him, and he became iconic uh, with this iconic band. And, you know, it's interesting because those who view uh, a godly approach uh, would say, um, yes, you know, everybody is blessed and God uh, blesses and kind of anoints everyone and touches the brow of each person and uh, gives them the ingredients by which to be successful in accordance with his plan. The fatists would probably say, uh, if that's the case, then why isn't everybody the Beatles? Why isn't everybody Albert Einstein? Why isn't everybody Jeff Bezos? And, the, and I think the legitimate answer to that in biblical perspective, I should say, is that if it is a godly anointment, that God gives you the talent, but what you do with it is really up to you. Are you going to enlighten God by what he gives you? The fatists would say, well, you know, you're in the right place at the right time. My grandfather, who came here from Ireland on my mother's side, always said, and I remember him saying, that you are born with your fate scrolled on your forehead. And so, you know, what is it that makes greatness? Why are some great and some, you know, kind of mediocre and some really never get to the so-called promised land of, you know, what they do. And so, you know, we bring in our show today, the great Hank Stram. We heard all the banter and Bobby Bell and Lenny uh, Dawson talking about uh, their uh, mentor, the uh, great coach uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. He was known for his 15-year tenure with the uh, Dallas Texans, who would in 1963 become uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. He won three AFL championships, more than any other coach uh, in the league's history at the time. And 
Uh, he died way back in 2005. He was the head coach of the Chiefs, as you know, and then he coached for about a year or so, uh, not so uh, well, the uh, New Orleans Saints, who really were never much of a team. And so, you know, when we look at it, uh, when we talk about it, uh, Stram won the three AFL championships. In his early life, he was born in Chicago. He, uh, Stram wasn't actually his real name is Welchek. His father's name was Welchek. And uh, he wrestled professionally under the name of Stram, and the family name was changed accordingly. And so um, uh, Hank Stram would later grow up in Gary, Indiana. He graduated from Lou Wallace High School, the class of 41. And uh, that school is still there. The football stadium was renamed in his honor. He earned seven letters playing football and baseball, and he joined the uh, Sigma Chi fraternity at Purdue, uh, which is where he was educated in the 40s, playing in 42 and again in 46 and 47. He served in the uh, Army during World War II, and uh, that interrupted his uh, university career. So he started coaching as an assistant coach with the Boilermakers in 48 through 55. He was there fairly long. And the head baseball coach from 51 to 55. And in 96, Schramm and Len Dawson were indicted, uh, inducted, I should say, <laughs> not indicted, inducted into the uh, Purdue Athletic Hall of Fame after coaching at Purdue. Schramm was the assistant at Notre Dame, Southern Methodist, and then Miami. And Schramm was Miami's backfield coach, and he credited with installing the multiple offense that helped lead the team to a 6-4 and four record in 1959. So, you know, one of the great things about Hank Schramm uh, other than Vince Lombardi, and it was ironic because the two would uh, uh, meet as coaches in Super Bowl One. And Lombardi was a meat and potatoes coach. I hate to kind of use that term, but that's really what he was, a, a lunch bucket type of coach. Nothing real fancy, you know, uh, let's play smash mouth football, let's get the defense to play as a team, Let's make the tackles. Uh, let's give the ball to Jim Taylor and Fuzzy Thurston and Jerry Kramer would uh, pull the guards. You know, they were the first really to kind of employ that on a uh, multiple level. And everybody in the house, including the opposite coaches, knew that uh, Jim Taylor was going to run the ball in third and short. But they couldn't stop him. And that was uh, Vince Lombardi's philosophy. He wasn't a showman. He wasn't a show-off. Uh, he didn't have show-off players. He didn't uh, put one player above another. It was a team game. And in many ways, Hank Stram was the same. But Hank Stram was an innovator, where I don't think Vince Lombardi was that kind of a coach. Lombardi was a, uh, a gut-bucket type of coach. He demanded greatness from you each time. He used to say, you know, this is a wonderful profession. Uh, be, be proud of this profession. Uh, Put your priorities in God, family, and then football. And uh, always made his players proud. Many of his players certainly went on to uh, uh, become very, very uh, established businessmen, including Max McGee, who owned all the Chi-Chi restaurants, which uh, uh, made him a multimillionaire. Jerry Kramer, you know, the uh, uh, great uh, guard who was responsible for getting Bart Starr into the end zone and that uh, – game, the uh, ice bowl, you know, uh, and so uh, when we look at Stram, he was such a great innovator, and the AFL, we did the show the other day on the AFL, uh, for the 10 years that it was around, 
it produced incredible results. You know, you look at the coaches, you know, that became Hall of Famers, the players. I mean, most of the, uh, not all of them, but several players on the Kansas City Chiefs who played for Hank Stram are in the, in the Hall of Fame, including a uh, Norwegian ski jumper who came to Montana State on a ski jumping scholarship and ended up being one of the premier field goal kickers in Jan Stenerud. And it was brought to the attention of Stram, and he, and he incorporated that. Nobody was using kickers in those days as far as high draft choice. And then later on, Al Davis would, uh, would uh, choose Ray Guy in the opening round of the draft, one of the greatest punters of all time. You know, Bobby Bell, Jim Lynch, later on Jim Marcellus, defensive back. And then, of course, you had Otis Taylor. You had the great guards of uh, Jim Tyre and Ed Buddy. E.J. Hollop, the center, whose uh, helmet always looked like a battering ram. You couldn't even see the KC Arrowhead logo. But the great thing about Stram is that he was an innovator, the, mold, the moving pocket. Uh, a lot of times, uh, if you remember, they would form uh, that eye formation behind Len Dawson. Uh, incorporating huge offensive linemen. I mean big linemen. Nobody did that in that day. And his idea was to hide the smaller running backs, uh, guys like Nolan Smith, who ran the ball for the Chiefs, mostly on kickoffs. And then, of course, you had the great uh, Mike Garrett out of USC, who was a Heisman Trophy winner. He was about 5'10". He wasn't real big. And they would get in their three-point stance, and, and the defensive players on the opposite side couldn't really see the backs. And so uh, the, the, uh, the play-action pass that uh, was n almost not non-existent in the NFL, uh, Hank Stram put to good use. And so what that would do is that little fake to the halfback would freeze the linebackers just for a second or so, and it would create the open man. And so people say, well, you know, Hank Stram didn't win a lot. Uh, yeah, he did. He won in 62 as the head coach of the Dallas Texans, which became the Chiefs, against the uh, Houston Oilers, who had won the first two championships in 60 and 61 at Jefferson Stadium down in Houston, which is still there. He didn't win in 67 against the uh, Packers in the first Super Bowl, but he won in 1970, which was the last year uh, of the AFL before the merger. And he did it in conclusive style against a very good Joe Cap, Bud Grant, Minnesota Vikings team who were heavy favorites in that game. So in 59, Lamar Hunt, who was the owner of the Chiefs, uh, I should say the Texans, who became the Chiefs, in the new AFL, he recruited Stram to coach his Texans. And uh, they started 1960. Hunt had previously been a bench player at SMU when Stram had been coaching there. It's always who you know, you know. That's the other part of life, you know. It's who you know. And um, the Texans' position had been turned down by Bud Wilkinson, who was, of, of course, Oklahoma fame, and Tom Landry. He was then an assistant with the Giants. And the Texans played their first game in the new AFL in September 1960 and proved to be successful from the beginning. The 62 Texans won the AFL Western Division, AFL Championship, and they uh, won the championship on Tommy Brooker's uh, field goal in overtime 
2017 against the Oilers. And they kept the Oilers from, you know, winning their third straight title. And then in 63, they continued their success. They moved uh, to Kansas City. Lamar Hunt felt that two teams couldn't produce in Dallas because the Cowboys were also established in 1960. And they won the AFL title again on the back of one of the best defensive teams in the history of professional football, featuring three Hall of Famers and eight all-star players. They beat the uh, Buffalo Bills 31-7 to in that uh, first uh, AFL game back in 66, and they were the first team to go to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs. And uh, they did that at War Memorial Stadium. It was a muddy game, cold, rainy, and they ran the ball down uh, Jack Kemp and the uh, Buffalo Bills' throats. Buffalo was favored, and they never had a chance. So then they won the AFL championship again in 69. And, of course, Super Bowl four. his ingenious innovations, as I mentioned, the moving pocket, the triple-stack defense, dominated the Vikings on both sides of the ball. And Super Bowl, Stram became the first professional football coach to wear the microphone. Of course, you know, Hank Stram had a big ego. He loved being uh, on uh, camera. He loved talking, as you heard Bobby Bell and Lenny uh, Dawson say. In 71, the Chiefs won the AFC uh, Western Championship. The Dolphins defeated them on that great Christmas Day game. If you remember, Jan Stenerud missing the 30-plus yarder field goal. And then, of course, Garo Upremian uh, was uh, the uh, culprit uh, in the uh, situation with the Chiefs as he would uh, kick the winning goal a field goal for uh, the Miami Dolphins to eliminate the Chiefs. So the teams played the longest game in history, and after that the Chiefs did not enjoy the same success, resulting in Stram leaving the franchise. Now, uh, there's some debate about that. Did uh, Lamar Hunt fire Hank Stram? There was talk that he was fired. Uh, Most people felt at the time, and that was a long time ago, that he actually resigned. And one of the flaws, we all have flaws no matter how great we are. Uh, Hank Stram's flaw was that he utilized uh, his veterans too long. He wasn't in favor of giving a lot of other players favor, uh, and he looked uh, to his veteran players. And after a while, of course, those players get older. You start to lose some of your technique. We'll see if that happens to uh, Aaron Rodgers this year at 40 years old. You know, no matter how great you are, you start to lose. And then, of course, uh, he went on to uh, coach the New Orleans Saints. They weren't a very good team. He only lasted a year, and then he was fired. Now, it was interesting because uh, it's, it's always interesting that one person can make another person's career. And while Stram was at Purdue coaching uh, as an assistant coach, there was a guy there named Lenny Dawson. And Lenny Dawson, like Bart Starr, was a marginal player. Uh, he became kind of a cast-off with the Steelers and Cleveland. Uh, the same thing happened with uh, Bart Starr. Vince Lombardi takes Bart Starr and under his tutelage makes him a Hall of Fame quarterback, five championships and two Super Bowls and the Hall of Fame. And You know, it's always who you know. That's another aspect of uh, success in human life. And, uh, of course, Stram took Len Dawson in the draft, the first AFL draft in 1960, and the rest is history.
Now, you know, I don't know that Len Dawson was a tremendous quarterback like, uh, you know, uh, let's say Brett Favre was or, uh, you know, uh, Rodgers or any of these uh, or even Sammy Baugh, but he was a kind of a quarterback that fit Hank Stram's uh, blueprint. And so now Lenny Dawson goes from this journal uh, journey that he uh, had in the AFL or the uh, NFL, I should say, and then comes to the AFL, wins the championship in '62 against the Oilers, loses the first Super Bowl against the Packers in '67, and then uh, in his final, uh, you know, hurrah, he uh, wins Super Bowl four and is the MVP player uh, of Super Bowl four. He also had some. Uh, uh, criminal activity charges against him. It turned out to be false. Uh, he apparently was uh, involved somehow in some kind of a gambling thing. The FBI investigated, uh, but Lenny Dawson always had, uh, as did Stram, a very clean life, and all of that was swept under the table as it uh, never materialized. But um, Stram became the head coach of the Saints in '67. He posted four and ten and three and eleven records. Not you know great. And hampering Stram's efforts to rebuild the typically struggling Saints were a severe elbow injury to Archie Manning at the time. He missed the entire 76 season and parts of the 77 campaign. So Stram also had to deal with continuous discipline problems caused by Chuck Muncie. If you remember Chuck Muncie, a great runner who had a lot of drug problems. Uh, he ended up in Miami, uh, which was the wrong place for him to go under Shula, Shula uh, disciplinarian. As soon as uh, uh, there was a problem with Muncie, I believe he was late for a practice, and uh, he was cut by Don Shula. And uh, in his early stages of uh, the cocaine addiction, which led to his trade in 1980 from the uh, Saints to the Chargers, we're talking about Muncie. So perhaps the biggest highlight of the New Orleans tenure was a 27-17 win over his former team, the Kansas City Chiefs, at Arrowhead Stadium in 1976. Stram's first victory with the Saints in the 77 campaign culminated in a historic home loss to the previously winless Tampa Bay Bucks, who were riding at the time, if you remember those who follow, the 26-game losing streak over two seasons. He took the, he took the loss hard, did Stram, burning the game film, and he was fired after the final game of the season. So, you know... The broadcasting career, of course, you know, color, uh, he did the color commentary uh, with uh, Frank Gleiber. Uh, you know, there's an interesting story I wanted to, to mention, too, about people who are successful. Some people, as I said before, you know, uh, godly people who feel that they uh, have a blueprint from God to uh, be successful. And there was a sportscaster years ago named Charlie Jones, and Charlie Jones had that baritone voice, uh, you know, that monstrous voice. He did a lot of games for NBC along with Jim Simpson. They basically did the second games as Kurt Gowdy and the crew used to do the first games. And it was interesting because when he came out of school, Charlie Jones, he, was, uh, he wanted to be uh, a sportscaster, as, as everybody else did. And so what he did is he wrote a letter to Lamar Hunt telling Lamar Hunt, knowing that this new league was coming in now and uh, Dallas Texans were in his uh, home area, uh, he told uh, Lamar Hunt that he was the new voice of the Dallas Texans. And to make sure that everything went ahead, he actually had a clock, an alarm clock, set at 11 o'clock and uh, went through great pain to have it delivered the day before to Lamar Hunt's secretary. 
when she opened the package, it was uh, set at 11 a.m. and said that the new voice of the Dallas Texans will arrive promptly at 11 a.m. The new voice will be Charlie Jones. And uh, when the secretary, uh, who was kind of astonished at the way uh, it went down, showed it to Lamar Hunt, he was so impressed that uh, before he even looked at the credentials, he gave Charlie Jones the job. And, of course, Charlie Jones would become uh, a uh, successful broadcaster with NBC doing a lot of those old AFL games. And so, you know, you're taking the godly anointment and doing something with it, uh, if that's your persuasion. And, um, you know, so so Stram would uh, go on. He called games with Gary Bender. Um, he was with Jack Buck, Vince Scully. Uh, there were others. And as a broadcaster, he's best remembered for his 20-year stint. It began in 78, lasting until the 95 season with Jack Buck on CBS Radio. And then uh, Monday night games, his uh, key broadcasting trademark was his habit of predicting the next play before it happened. I mean, he was a Tony Romo way before Tony Romo was even around. And that's not something that most uh, color analysts can do. They basically tell you what happened. So on January 10th, uh, 82, Stram, along with Vince Scully, called the famous NFC Championship game between the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. The game in question was that immortalized catch by Dwight Clark, uh, which elevated the 49ers into their first uh, Super Bowl appearance, and it was the first of four during the 80s. And during a 88 broadcast trip to Indianapolis for the Chicago Bears-Colts game, Stram collapsed with a severely blocked aortic valve and underwent open-heart surgery. He was hospitalized in Indianapolis for a week and later resumed his career with CBS. Uh, unfortunately for this great man, uh, he made a guest appearance as himself on the TV show Coach, if you remember, and he attended a coach convention with fellow coaches Barry Switzer and George Allen. He retired to New Orleans, Louisiana, where he built a home in the town of Covington, and he died at uh, St. Tammany Parish Hospital in Covington from complications on July 4th, 2005, from uh, diabetes. So what was the legacy of Hank Stram? Well, he was an innovator. He was a shrewd judge of talent, an excellent teacher like uh, John Madden. He helped develop Hall of Famers Len Dawson, Bobby Bell, Buck Buchanan, Curly Culp, Willie Lanier, Jan Stenerud, Emmett Thomas, Johnny Robinson, and others like Ed Buddy and Otis Taylor. He was also the first coach in professional football to use Gatorade on the sidelines and run both the I-formation and two-tight-end offense, still used in professional football today. On the defense, the Chiefs employed a triple-stack defense, hiding three linebackers behind defensive linemen. And he was considered a motivational genius, and his emphasis on Chiefs wearing of a patch commemorating the AFL in the Super Bowl four was one of the typical ploys, extracting maximum effort from players who had been de uh, derided by proponents of the NFL, cast-offs who said they could never play. Stram was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2003, nine years after Bud Grant, the man whose team he had convincingly defeated in Super Bowl four, had been enshrined. And at the Hall of Fame ceremony, Stram was so weakened by the effects of diabetes that Len Dawson pushed his former coach onto the stage in a wheelchair. Stram's induction speech was then played from a previous recorded tape. And so, you know, that is the story of one of football's really great stories. You know, the AFL had just such greatness. You know, I was so proud as a 
young kid to be able to watch those games. I remember taking a lot of flack from people, you know, who thought it was a Mickey Mouse league. My friends didn't watch it. My coaches used to make fun of me for watching it. And you know what? If I had it to do over 10 times, I would still watch it. It was a great league with great players, uh, with great color, with great history. And had it survived the merger, and it was really a merger uh, that the AFL wanted to do because they saw their future in it. I still think the American Football League, unlike any other league that has tried to compete against the NFL or any league that's tried to compete against an established uh, professional league, would still have been uh, going today. They had great players. They had colorful uniforms. They had great fans. And by the late 60s, this was a team, this was a league, I should say, that uh, was packing 60, upward of 60,000 people from the time when it was lucky to get maybe 1,600 people in its early day. So uh, Hank Stram, certainly one of the great coaches of all time, uh, an innovator, a guy who uh, directed the Kansas City Chiefs and then, of course, uh, went on uh, with a lesser-talented Saints team to try to do the same. Well, that'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, of course, talking about the legend, the great Hank Stram, coach of the Kansas City Chiefs slash New Orleans Saints. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Hope you learned a little bit about this great, great coach that uh, many of us saw uh, who uh, grew up in the 60s. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio, and until tomorrow, all of you have a great day, a great weekend. Enjoy all the sports. We'll talk to you again on Monday, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be well.